welcome to the podcast of Odessa First Assembly. I'm so glad that you're joining us for the Seven Churches series. This series is about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged by today's message. of our seven-part series of the seven churches in Revelation. So I'm hoping that uh, these sermons have encouraged you and spoke to you and uh, you've had some growth because of it. This uh, reminds you that uh, we do have notebooks back in again, our sermon notebooks. Um, we're asking for $10 for them. We were asking five, I think, but we now, the double price for me, so the, double, the price doubles for you. And so, uh, but if you would like to take one, and if you can't afford the 10, don't worry about it. It's taken anyway, but every week we provide um, fill-in-the-blank written notes for you. You can also go to your, use your Bible app, your YouVersion app, and you'll find all the notes there as well that you can follow along. And so just something to keep in mind. So Revelation, um, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3. We're looking at the Church of Philadelphia this morning. And so I'm really excited about this one. I think the Lord will speak to us, and then we're going to celebrate a baptism. And uh, that's always fun, right? Uh, let's get started. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Let's pray before we read. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for your presence, Lord. And I just ask that our hearts would be ready, that our hearts would be good soil, ready to receive your word today. Lord, that we would not be hearers of your word and, and leave this place forgetting what we heard, Lord. And, but, Lord, that it would take root in us and we would see a harvest 30, 60, 100 times that which is sown in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Let's read this together. And to the angel of the Lord, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I'll make them come down, bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. And I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of God, Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so as always, just a, just a little beat, uh, brief background about the church of Philadelphia. And this is one of the churches that there's only two of them that... The Lord really doesn't have a rebuke for, but 
um, really encouraging to their faithfulness. And, and here we have Philadelphia where he says this, but just a, a little bit about Philadelphia. Um, because as we've been saying for all of this series and a little bit before, it's important when we make application to our life from Scripture is that we understand some things. We understand the, the time and the era in which Scripture was written and the original meaning, the original authors and who they wrote it to. And, and we got to understand some of these things to really make application into our life. And not only that, but we, really, we, we, we see a lot of imagery and wording that... Um, it uh, doesn't really quite make sense or compute. It's you know, a little bit uh, uh, fuzzy to what it may mean. And so understanding some of the history, we can, we, it, it kind of opens up the door and says, oh, that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so Philadelphia, it had been founded by one of the other cities we've already talked about, Pergamum. And it was, uh, it was really a frontier area. And it was a gateway uh, to, of trade routes for all of modern-day Turkey, Asia, Asia Minor. And so they, these trade routes, they led to Mysia, Lydia, Phygeria, and it all merged in Philadelphia. And Rome's imperial postal route also went through Philadelphia. It was a very important city. There were, they were huge into athletics. You know, matter of fact, sometimes as I, as I you know, through the years I read about Philadelphia, it, it reminds me just a little bit about Odessa, just blue collar and, uh, and Friday Night Lights. And, uh, but go Lee. Anyway, um, sorry, I, I hadn't said in a while. I had to. My alma mater. Thank you. Okay. We still love everybody. Odessa High, Permian, y'all get along now. But they were huge in athletics, Olympic Games. There was also a massive earthquake in 17 AD. And that earthquake, it, this is the same earthquake that destroyed Sardis. If you remember Sardis we talked about, is that they were the city that claimed they were dead but came back to life because of what they rebuilt. And Jesus used that kind of as that illustration as he's done with all the churches. He says, no, I'm the one that has come back from the dead. And I'm the resurrected one. And so, but this same earthquake, it destroyed Philadelphia. And matter of fact, people were so, there was a lot of aftershocks, and people were so concerned, they began moving out of the kind of the real, the metro area of the city, and were living on the outskirts away from these, um, from, uh, these aftershocks that were taking place. And so several of these things are coming real important as we kind of go through this verse by verse this morning. And so in verse 7, we see something that I, I, want, I got to take time, and it's going to be most of our time this morning. But in verse 7, we read about four things. We read about the Holy One. We read about the True One. We read about the key of David, and who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, talking about that door. And so really what this gives us is four characteristics of Jesus. And this is important. And so the first one, these four descriptions, is that he's the Holy One. Jesus is the Holy One. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, you know, I really wanted to kind of, how does that apply to us? How does that impact us? You know, the, the holiness of God, I mean, we understand that, you know, God's without sin, right? Uh, you know, he is separated from all of that part of, of humanity and the fall. I mean, he is a... Holy, holy God. We'll talk about more about that in just a moment. But Jesus is the Holy One. The scripture that really came to my heart was Matthew 5, 48. 
And in Matthew 5.48, it says to you, therefore, be perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how many of you are doing good on that command? I, I didn't. <laughs> Probably not too many of us, you know. But yet we see this in Scripture. Be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. And so what I want to focus on just for a moment is the perfection of the Father and then I'll bring into how we are a part of that. And so really what it comes down to, as Jesus is holy, God is holy. The Father is holy. You read about a verse in Isaiah chapter, 60, uh, chapter 6 in those first three verses. And we see you know, that uh, uh, um, Isaiah is having this vision. It, it begins in verse 1, that the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high, lifted up, a train of his robe, filled the temple. But here, listen to this, verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face. And that's really important because, and it goes on to talk about that, they, cry, they, they say one to another, holy, holy Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll possibly remember where, you know, here's the children of Israel. They've come out over the Hebrews and they came out of Egypt. And Moses is meeting with God on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments, you know, the stone Ten Commandments. And pretty much the Hebrews that came out of Egypt, they're just having an, a, a, a party. They're having a hedonistic, um, fleshly, just party going on. And they melt down their gold and they fashion a golden calf. And Aaron even says, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And, um, and Moses comes down and sees this going on. He breaks the stone tablets. And, you know, and it, I love the exchange between God and Moses so many times because God's like, these are your people, Moses. And Moses is like, no, no, they're yours, God. <laughs> and so, but what happens is, is God tells Moses, that's it, I'm not, I'm not going with you in the promised land. And Moses begins to cry out, he begins to intercede. He's like, man, if, if you're not going to go with us, there's no point in us going. And Moses prays something very bold in this moment. He says, show me your glory. And God says, no man can see me and live. Why? Because of his holiness. And so God places Moses in the rock and passes over him. And then we even see other places where Moses meets with God. And because of God's glory, Moses comes out of that meeting with his own face shining with the glory of God. I'm going to tell you, God's holiness is impactful. And it, I mean, it's just holy. I, I wish I had another word in English that I could describe it. But he's, he's a holy God. He's separate above everything of our of our sinfulness but see Jesus is also holy I mean Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father the perfect represent Jesus didn't do anything he didn't see his father do he didn't say anything he didn't hear his father say the perfect the perfect manifestation of God on our on earth and in Hebrews 7 26 it says this for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. What does it say? Holy. 
innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And you know, I could add in here too another one. I, you know, I, I didn't, but we, you could jot it down, is the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy is part of his name, right? <laughs> but when we see this, so how does this translate? So we know that the Trinity, they're holy, they're absolutely, perfectly holy. So what does it mean when we see be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect? Let me give you some understanding about that word. The word translated perfect, teleos, it's T-E-L-E-I-O-S, teleos. This is in your notes. A word that can be translated, it's also the same word in other places in Scripture, is translated mature or full-grown. Mature or full-grown. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that's giving us a target, right? We're, we're looking forward to something until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's talking about this maturity that's going to take place in us. Hebrews 5.14 and going into Hebrews 6 Solid food, some of you are familiar with this verse. Solid food is for those who are what? Mature. Who through training, and so listen, and the, that, that mature in Ephesians 4.13, and that mature in Hebrews 5.14, that's the same word in, in Matthew 5.48 that says perfect. So let us stop going over the bait. Well, let me go on. Who through training have skill to recognize a difference of right and wrong. What's important about maturity is not sometimes right and wrong is pretty obvious. But as a believer is what we need to discern and know is what's right and almost right. That, that was, somebody needs to tweet that. There's a big difference between right and almost right. So let us stop going over the basic teachings. Limit, and I'm going to talk about this in a few moments. If you, are if you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're going for the same test over and 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 over again, it's time to mature. So Christ, so let us stop going over the basic things about Christ again and again. Let us go instead and become mature in our understanding, perfect in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting. I like how it says, even though it's saying this is an elementary thing, it's still important, but it's fundamental repenting of from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Holiness is the process of separating ourselves from the world's values and maturing in our faith. So listen, wherever you are in your walk, when we read Matthew 5:48 to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, it's saying being be be mature in this place that you're in right now. Be mature in this place that you're in right now. And as you're moving forward, as you're growing, you're going to be in a new place. And when you're in that new place, be mature in your faith in that place. Does that make sense? The second thing we see is he's the true one. The true one is wholly trustworthy and reliable in words and action. He is totally trustworthy. Christ is completely trustworthy. 
In Numbers 23, 19, God is not man so that he does not lie. He is not human that he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? He has, has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen to me. That's exactly where the enemy wants to attack you. Because when you look at God's word and you're bringing in promises into your life and you're trying to stand on the promise of God's word, the enemy will always confront you with what God is not doing. But let me tell you something. You don't know what God's not doing because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Don't listen to the enemy when he tempts you like that. Christ, you can completely, even no matter what the facts look like going on, no matter what the storm looks like, you can trust Christ at his word. I know some of your healing hasn't happened yet. Trust his promises. Some of you haven't seen the provision you've needed yet. Trust his promises. Some of you haven't seen the breakthrough that you need to have. Trust his promises. This is what you get when I get to go fishing for a week. Oh. Romans 4. You know, this is, Romans 4 is talking about, um, it's, 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 it focuses Abraham. But kind of the end of this, this passage in Romans 4, we read this in verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, I'll, just a minute. We're talking about Abraham. I want to read this again. No, everybody say unbelief. unbelief. Made him waver concerning the promise of God. Um, it seems like I remember um, a lady named Hagar. <laughs> Some of you familiar with the story of Abraham? And I mean. But see, what we see over and over and over again is that sometimes it takes a minute for us to catch up. And, we, and God is so full of grace. God says, your mistakes is not what define you. What I, how I define you is what defines you. Amen. I expect a little more of an amen right there. He grew in faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The third thing is this. This is real interesting. Who has the key of David? Who has the key of David? You know, when you read through that, and so here's Jesus. He's talking to the church of Philadelphia, you know, you know giving this revelation to John. John's writing and scribing down these, these words. And so we see who has the key of David. What kind of introduction is that? Well, see, we, that doesn't really connect with us because we are not from the first century, nor are we Jewish or Jews that know the law like the Jewish people of the first century would know the law. Are you following me? And so this had significant meaning to them, and they knew exactly what was being said to them. And I'm, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but we're going to read it, what this means. It's in Isaiah chapter 22, Isaiah chapter 22 Beginning in verse 15, we're going to read 10 verses, so hang on just for a moment. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, come, go to this steward of Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him. So he's telling Isaiah, go give Shebna a word. 
What have you to do here and whom and what do you what have you to do here and whom have you here that you have cut out a, here a tomb for yourself? You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. And so Shebna was a servant to Hezekiah. And he was a place of authority. And I, I should have had a picture for you, but the wealthy of the day, what they would do, they would carve their tombs inside of, of mountainsides. And it was for kings. It was for very affluent people. It was for, very, it was for rich people, people who had means and money. And Shebna was doing this for himself. And in essence, kind of cut it down for you as the Lord is saying, who are you to take the resources I've given and to spend it on yourself? And so God is confronting him through Isaiah. Verse 17, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently. Oh, you strong man, he will see, seize firm hold of you. We're, also, we're seeing something play out here. We're seeing a prophecy that's that's about Jesus and our enemy we're seeing if you remember in, in the New Testament there's something said about the strong man that's the enemy and binding him and here we see I mean, a, a correlation is being made and so but verse 18 and and whirl you around and around and throw you out like a ball into the wide land there you shall die all right you know don't name your kids Shebna and there shall be your glorious chariots who shame your master's house. Verse 19, I will thrust you from your office and you'll be pulled down from your station. Does that not sound like Lucifer a little bit? Are you following me? And that day I will carry out my servant Elikim. Who do you think that represents? That represents Jesus. Okay, I thought I'd get a little more awe of that, but that's okay. Son of Hilkah, and I will clothe him with your robe. I will bind your sash on him, and you will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Verse 22, and I'll place on him Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I'll place on him the shoulder of the key of the house of David. Listen to this. We just read this in Revelation. He shall open, and none shall shut he shall shut and none shall open. That, that sounds familiar, everybody, right, in our text? And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. That's talking about being nailed to a tree at Calvary. And they will hang him, the whole honor of the father's house, the offspring of the issue, every small vessel, from the cups to all the flagons, verse 25, in that day declares the Lord of hosts, a peg was fastened in a secure place, will give way and will be cut down and fall, and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. So here's Shebna, he's, he's using the king's resources for his own private gain, and so God saw Shebna, he saw this, he removes him from office, but replaces him with a faithful man and Elikim, and Elikim was a picture of Jesus, the, a, a dependable, remember why was Shebna removed? Because he was unfaithful, and so put in his place is a dependable administrator of the affairs for God's people. To me that sounds like an advocate. 
To me, that sounds one standing in the gap for us. So who opens and shuts the doors? Has he ever prayed that? I mean, that sounds familiar, right? How many, how many times have we prayed, Lord, open up doors that nobody can open? When we're looking for God's will, uh, shut, you know, shut the doors that nobody can shut that you don't want me to walk through. I want to give you the uh, accurate meaning of what this verse means. And I, I'm not saying that's wrong to pray that. I think that is a powerful prayer. I think it's biblical. I think it's okay to pray. But that's not really what this means right here. What this means, the one who opens and shuts doors, and let me just give the short of it, is that Jesus through the cross has opened the door to salvation. And that door to salvation is only open for a season. And there will be a come a point in time where that door will be shut and then judgment will happen. And Jesus is the only one that can open the door and he's the only one that can shut the door. And what he's saying right here, I, I, I mean the way that I see this is that what he's saying is that I, the door is open to everybody. Matter of fact, we're going to talk next week about the knock at the door. But the door is open to everybody. It doesn't matter what the sin is in your past. Christ has opened the door for you. There's always room at the cross. There's always room for forgiveness. There's so many people think that you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've fallen short. You don't know how that I've messed up. But Jesus has opened the door. And he's holding it open. The enemy can't shut it. No one can shut it. Because when he's opened it, nobody else can shut it. I like this. So the church in Philadelphia, it was small, but it was faithful. We get that from our text. It says, I know that you have little power, but you kept my word and not having to, you haven't denied my name. And so Jesus is commending them for being faithful. And I do, I want, I, I want to be cautious in what I say. Um, but I, I, our church, church you need to know something. The size of a church does not determine its impact in the kingdom. Amen. The size of a church does not impact what it can do for Jesus. The size of a group doesn't matter what it can do for the Lord. There was a man by the name of D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody said, give me a hundred men that love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, and I'll turn the world upside down. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst of them. And we live in a culture where it's the cool thing to have the big church. I'm not against big church. I'm not against mega church. I'm not against any of those types of things. But don't allow it for you to, smell, to, to feel small. Don't allow it to do something in you where you feel like, what are we doing? What are we accomplishing? I'm going to tell you something. We're changing lives. That's what we're doing. We're changing lives. That's what we're doing. And the best days are ahead, and the best is yet to come. And yet still, did you know the size of our church? We are in the top 15% of attendance in churches in America. Think about that. Think about that. 85% of churches are 80 and less. Listen, I, I, I got to admit, I had to pray through. I had to pray through. I, 
you know, last year we're approaching um, here in just a couple of weeks, the year anniversary of my, my pastor friend, Stephen Pena, that, that passed away in Snyder. And, you know, and I, we went there and did his funeral, and, and, and what a celebration it was. I, you know, in the midst of such tragedy of, of a peer, 46 years old, passing away, and, and uh, just seeing that church full, you know, and, and we had a time, we had a service. God was there, it was special, it was wonderful. Thing is very fitting of him and his personality. But a, a mutual friend of ours, I love him. He's a, he's a good man, but he, he pastors a very large church. It's 2,000 plus. And um, he walked up to me after, because Stephen had called me. I, many of you may remember this story. He called me the Friday before he passed away on a Monday. And he told me, he asked me, he said, I want you to do my service. I said, you know, I was like, buddy, you're not, what are you talking, let's not get ahead here. <laughs> you know, we were still believing for a miracle. But after service, this, so this pastor came to me, and he said, you know, he patted me on the back, and he said, you graduated, son. And I got to admit, that just really just crawled on me. And I, I, I immediately, I just felt it in my heart. I was like, the size of a church doesn't determine what we do for the Lord. Amen. And matter of fact, here Jesus is saying, I commend you because you've been faithful. You've been faithful. I don't know the future of our church. I don't know tomorrow. I mean, if it were up to me, we'd win everybody in the Permian Basin. I mean, we'd be like in a service every single night. I mean, I mean you know, that's, that's my dreams of, of grandeur. I, I don't know what the Lord's plan is, but I'm going to tell you this. If there's anything that I want him to say about Odessa First Assembly is that you're faithful. You're faithful. I remember Steve Hill. You know, so many people are, man, I just got on a big rabbit trail. Okay, we still have baptisms. Are you going to hold on? Okay, good. I'm going to do it anyway. Steve Hill, he was an evangelist in Pensacola and the Brownsville Revival and then later pastored Heartland in the Metroplex. And I, I mean, to me, he was a mentor uh, from afar. One time I, when he was pastoring in Heartland and I went to his church and I took, I was a youth pastor then and took our youth and some of our sponsors and and every time and I'd go meet him, I was like, I know you don't know me. I met you last year. I know you don't remember me. I've read all your books. I listen to all your sermons, uh, you know, and kind of go through that deal. And he said, oh, bless you. You know, he's always very kind. One time I took some friends of mine, and, and I came back over. They said, where were you? I was like, oh, I, was talking, I, was, I was talking to Steve. And uh, they said, we want to meet him. I'm like, well, come on, let's go. Like, I was that guy, you know, I wasn't. And so I took these guys with me, and we, I went over to him, and I said, I said, Pastor Steve, I was like, these are some of my youth sponsors, Michael and, and Cody. And, I mean, Steve Hill looks at them, grabs them, I mean, puts his hand on them, starts praying fire over them, spitting on them. And I'm like, I was just right here. But anyway. But Steve Hill, he always talks about it. He said, listen, so many people are so interested in their name being, listen to me. Your name being on billboards, your name being a household name, everybody know your name, everybody know who you are. And I mean, think about our culture of social media and influencers and that, you know, people know who you are and all this. And he, he would talk about these things. He's like, but you know what? That's not what matters to me. What matters to me is if hell knows your name. Does hell know that you're a faith, praying, believing, fasting, evangelizing, preaching, anointed minister of the gospel, doing his work for his kingdom. That's what matters to me. Listen to me. We don't need our names and lights, friend. That's not our place. There was no star over our manger, but we're here to do a mission, and it's time to be faithful and to carry out that mission. Okay, i got to hurry.
So you have kept my word. Let's move to this. You have kept my word about patient endurance. You have kept my word about patient endurance. I mean, you know how endurance works, right? I mean, me and Chase has been begging me all summer. And so, you know, I've gone through my gym memberships and I do good for about a month. And, uh, but Chase, he's like, dad, let's, so me and Chase, we're joining the gym. We're going to work out every morning at 530 or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm an early riser, but we'll see. He only knows there's one 530 and it's not in the morning one. So, sorry. Is Chase in here? Sorry. Don't tell him I said that. He's, oh, sorry. (laughs) So patient endurance. You know how you build endurance is you do something repetitive. And so when you're first starting something, you know, and maybe you're going through that storm and that trial and that difficult time, but if you just be patient and endure and remain faithful, you're going to make ground. And it's going to stretch you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to, I mean, you're going to see growth happen and, you know, you're going to feel it in the depth of you. And here's what you need to know. You're gaining that endurance because that's not the place that God has for you. The place that God has for you is here. And so when you get that patient endurance, then you're able to walk past that point and get to the next one. Come on, somebody. And then because you're faithful and you allow, you don't grow weary and doing well because, you know, in due season, you're going to reap a harvest. You're able to get to that next place. And see, here's how it ties together. So here, you're complete in Him. You're perfect in Him. And then here, you're complete in Him. And you're perfect in Him. And then here, you're complete in Him. And you're perfect for Him. And because you were here and there and there, you can take the next step. That's how growth happens. That's how maturity happens. I want to end with this. Um, I I know blanks. Oh, my goodness. Um, The rapture is not a scare tactic, but encouragement. I'm just going to give that to you really quick. So, but I, I, um, here's what I, here's where I want to wrap up. Here's where I want to land. Here's where I want to close. It talks about in Revelations 12, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar. Now, remember, what was something defining about Philadelphia? One thing was is that they, they loved sports. They loved to compete. And they would compete and they'd get a crown. The other part of Philadelphia was what? They had suffered a great earthquake and they were scared about the stability of their city. And so they even moved out from the city and lived on the outskirts. Let me read it again. The one who conquers, the one who finishes the race. I press on to the mark of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. I forget what lies behind me, and I keep pressing and moving forward. Come on. And then it says a pillar. I'll make him a pillar. Listen, where it is unstable, where it seems like society's having its way, he's going to make you a place of strength. The Bible says that you'll be an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord in Isaiah. The Bible says in Psalm 1-3 that you're a treated planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and the leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers and what he's saying is it may be shaky ground all around you but I'm going to make you something of strength people are going to look at you 
And they're going to say, where does that strength come from? You're going to say, I'm a planning of the Lord. I'm a planning of the Lord. I'm just working at, walking out that faithfulness and that patient endurance. Listen, when the storm hits, I believe it, that God, that Christ, he can send the bow of that boat. And he can say, peace be still. We know that God does it. And we're thankful when he does it. And he knows when he needs to do it for us. But what are you going to do when the waves keep crashing and the storm keeps blowing? Faithful endurance. And you're going to be that pillar. It also says in Jeremiah 17, 8, he is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Oh, I wish I had time to break this verse down for you. And does not fear when heat comes. I mean, we're locked in like a year drought, aren't we? I mean, it takes its toll. But you can be a place of struggle and drought and still be refreshed and restored. Come on, church, are you still with me? He's like a tree planted by the water. He sends out its roots to the stream, the streams of the Holy Spirit, and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. What it's saying is when you're in that place of trial, in that place of difficulty, you can still bear fruit. You can still bear fruit. For its leaves remain green and is not listen to this is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit would you stand with me this morning thank you for joining us for our podcast again if you'd like to know more about our church you can find us online at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform I hope that you are encouraged through today's message and that you'll join us again.